Welcome to Under Two Capes. I'm Jared, and I'm here with Nick from from Phoenix Press. Nick, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. And today we have a very special guest. And by the way, thank you so much, Nick, for setting this up. We have Chuck Dixon. Welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you for having me. All right, so uh, Chuck Dixon is like an, a very accomplished comic book writer. Has written probably all of the best Batman stories and Nightwing stories and Punisher stories that keep getting adapted into movies. So first, uh, I want to start off. I have a couple of questions I normally ask, like every, any first-time guest. So first off, Chuck, what got you into comic books? Well, first off, I want to say, Jared, I want to tell everybody watching that you and I are not in the same room seated across from each other. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Yeah, it kind of looks like that. Um, okay, what was your question? <laughs> what got you into comic books? I just never thought about anything else. I mean, I'm not even aware of what my first comic book was. It was before I was literate. So I was reading comics mm. before I could read. They were everywhere when I was a kid. You know, you were constantly exposed to comic book material. And uh, I just, it became part of my world. I fell in love with the medium. And I really never thought of doing anything else. That's actually very, that's actually very cool. Similarly to me, because I've always been around like superhero stuff. So when I found out there was this, this entire medium of books <laughs> that had pictures, I was yeah. like, oh, no, this is right off my alley. I don't have to read that much. It's just pictures and some words. <laughs> yeah, my dad was always like a huge like comic book sci-fi nerd and whatnot. And, like every time we go to the drugstore where like they'd have the spinner rack there, he'd always kind of grab me one and, and bring me back. So I got exposed to a lot of a lot of different heroes that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they helped me learn to read. I'm sure they did everybody else, too, because uh, you had the context, the words and the pictures. So you sort of taught yourself a lot of these words, you know, and at like eight years old, I had this extraordinary vocabulary, thanks to Stan Lee. <laughs> That's so the same PR. thing. It's like, I would be like, uh, because I was homeschooled and I'd be doing work with my mom. And then she would tell me, Jared, you have a fantastic vocabulary. How'd you get this? <laughs> Video games and, and comic books. <laughs> Take that detractors. I mean, my love of alliteration definitely comes from comics. Thank you, yes. Jim Lee. Jim Lee is, I mean, Stan Lee was Mr. Alliteration. Yes. So it's, it's like, oh, geez. So who's your favorite comic book character and why? Uh, well, my favorite comic book character to write is the Punisher. Uh, there you because, go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have like this weird affinity for Frank Castle and the stories, the stories come to me even now, even when I'm not being paid to think of Punisher stories, I still think of Punisher stories. Uh, my favorite character as a kid uh, was Spider-Man. I was totally devoted. Uh, it was Ditko's run. I was totally devoted to that comic. Oh, 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 yeah, as someone who, who's a Punisher fan, what's your opinion on the new Skull? That's stupid. Exactly. Thank you. I mean, Marvel is ashamed of this character, and it's not a recent thing. They've been ashamed of this mm -hmm. character for a long time. Yeah, it's true because uh, well, for the I could see why uh, when you when you take into account Marvel's clear political bias why they would be very against someone that's like revered by law enforcement, the military, and that uses guns for good. So I'm like, yeah. okay, I could see why you would not like this character. Yeah, he's also, he's always been a poor fit at Marvel, seriously. I mean, he's, he's a more grounded in reality type character. He's, a, he's an adult fantasy as opposed to a childhood fantasy figure. So uh, he's always been a poor fit. That's true. So he he's, he's kind of more like an image character than he than he is like a Marvel character. Yeah, probably. I, I, I was about, about the same image. I would have said DC, but I'm like, wait a second, that, that everyone's there as gods. I right. mean, he he could be a Vertigo character. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, he could be a Vertigo. Uh, God character. forbid he was Vertigo. a Vertigo character, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, see, the thing about the Punisher is that the reason why I think he kind of works in the Marvel universe is because. He provides a good like counterpoint to like a lot of these heroes because it, um, he uses uh, he kills people and uh, the majority of the Marvel heroes don't do that and right. it's like okay so you have both sides of the argument is one more effective is what is one side more moral? Well, he's yeah. also he's in that gray area. He can be played as a villain or a hero depending on your point of view, or an anti-hero. 
Yeah, yeah, that works too. I mean, they have a few anti-heroes at Marvel, but uh, Punisher is such a stark contrast to like Captain America. Yeah, I, I, I one of my favorite Punisher runs is when they put him in the war machine suit, and I'm like, I I pity anyone that <laughs> comes into contact with a Punisher war machine. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's he's got like I, I, skull on, like on the armor. He's got like uh, skulls that that represent every kill he's made. Now I want to see like a Constantine Punisher crossover. That would be oh, so cool, dude. <laughs> it's it's called Cosmic Ghost Rider, where they made him Ghost Rider. <laughs> so another question i have so one of the storylines that you're best known for is, is batman nightfall and i'm curious what was like the, the impetus for batman nightfall well it all started with denny o'neill I mean, he, he he was under pressure from the dc higher-ups to uh do something with batman akin to the death of superman mm-hmm. and uh you know we didn't want to kill anybody uh, so Denny came up with a, Denny didn't like the idea of doing a gimmick story. So he wanted to do a story that was worthwhile and, and was purely a Batman story, could only mm-hmm. be a Batman story. And would also uh, confirm what we knew and liked about Batman and come out the other side with a better, uh, a better series of books. Uh, and also a, a lasting villain. And these are all tall orders. But this is what he presented to us at the first summit meeting concerning Nightfall. And he presented us with the basic framework for the stories. And then it was up to us over the next, you know, uh, series of summits to, to flesh that out with, you know, dramatize it and present the characters and everything else. But, but the, the groundwork, the spine of it was, was laid down by Denny at that first meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Where'd the idea of replacing Batman came, uh, come from? That was from Denny as well. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, his idea was to replace him with this character that he would create, mm-hmm. uh, Jean-Paul Valley, And, uh, you know, a character that everybody learned to hate. I, I think at, in, at Nightfall, people hated Jean-Paul Valley a lot more than they hated Bane <laughs> by the end of it. <laughs> well, because it, which I think is kind of funny because, uh, and I heard this on another podcast, is like, but back then, they, uh, people, you, uh, comic book fans, from what I'm aware, were constantly like, why does the Batman kill people? Uh, I, I think at this point, he should start killing people. They do that. And then it's like years and years and years later, when they did Batman versus Superman, everyone's like, why is Batman killing people? Well, the way that I, the, oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, sorry. no, go, go on, go on. The way that I, the way that I kind of see the John Paul Valley stuff, it's like, let's just, let's say that you're a kid and your parents go through a bad divorce and you don't like it. And like, you just want dad to come back. And all of a sudden mom starts dating this one guy. This, this guy's kind of stepping in. He's sleeping <laughs> in mom's bed. He's sleeping with mom's wife. He's starting to act like the dad. You don't like him. You like dad. Dad's cool. But like this, this, this proto stepdad, you know, who's named John Paul Valley. He's like playing with all the toys. All of a sudden he starts wearing, uh, you know, the dad's clothes that, that, that's left around, you know, like, or he like takes his thing, like rips the sleeves off. <laughs> And now, and now dad is giving cool. you an image. And now dad is cooler than ever because he's not there. <laughs> he you uses flamethrowers and all that. Yeah, we we well see um fan, fans a lot of Batman fans were like, why can't he kill? And a lot of and the same fans will say, Why does he need Robin? And every time DC is you know made a meaner Batman, a loner Batman, the sales go down. So the general readership, they want Robin and they want a Batman who doesn't kill. Mm-hmm. And we were very aware going into this that w- what if readers respond in a positive way to John Paul Valley? So we said, well, we have to work really hard to make this guy a total a-hole. <laughs> we don't like him because we don't want to, you know, disprove our own theory here. And, uh, you know, so I think we did, we accomplished that. We accomplished it to such a degree that, that sales began to decline and we had to cut the... Um, event short by six months oh we're doing too good of a job guys we're doing too good of a job people really hate this character we have to abort (laughs) so uh that's interesting because uh my first exposure to like the nightfall idea was the dark knight rises movie because it it, it seemed to me like your mind or your body (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. So well, let me ask you this: How accurate was the Dark Knight Rises to 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 the story that that you worked on? I, I guess it had a lot of the themes. I, I think they missed some of the dramatic high points. True, because uh, you know Bruce Wayne just kind of just gets better. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna be hung up by ropes, back. and that that'll heal my back. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna heal my back. The power sit ups. And, and it was a lot of like ludicrous stuff in that movie. I mean. You know, locking the entire Gotham police force underground and they, they can't get out. You know, this is a city with 9 million people and probably one of the most extensive subway systems you can imagine. And there was no way out, no cop knew a way out of it. And then, and then they come out months or years later, we don't know how long, and they're all clean shaven and their uniforms are still pressed. Um, the, the funniest scene in the movie is uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt lowering uh, Chinese takeout to them through a manhole cover and he lowers like a, a dinner for two and then says i'll be back later with more <laughs> it, it should have been like he lowered it and then like, <laughs> it's like jurassic park where they lower the cow into the velociraptors <laughs> my problem with the dark knight returns in addition to a lot of other issues is the way they did tell is the, is the way that it did Talia because as far as I know she's not supposed to hate and want to kill Batman right that's kind of important because they have a kid right I mean there's like a love to hate thing at, at most like I love you but I hate you kind of thing but not, never pure hate yeah yeah because I mean Talia is always she always goes for the alpha male whoever the alpha male is in the room and, and Batman is an ultimate alpha male and it's you know I, it would have been better if they played it has a love triangle between Bane, Talia, and uh, Batman. And the problem is they reveal Talia so late in the film that we're not, we don't even understand her significance until then. And it's like a huge switcheroo. Like you have this one character, now he's supposed to be an entirely different character. And like as a first character, it made sense. But as this new, like, honestly, she was more Talia before the reveal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She, she, it, like he acted more like Talia when she wasn't pretending not to be. That's true. That's true. And it's just, that's one of my problems, uh, main problems w w with the Nolan movies is that they took like too many creative liberties to, to make me believe that this is a Batman film. Like, okay, I, I'm willing to ignore relatively you don't make Bane South American, but when you complete or addicted to, to, to Venom, but when you do this complete 180 on Talia, when you give Batman a stupid throat cancer voice, that's when I really have to like draw the line there. That's why I love Ben Affleck because they gave him a voice changer like he's Darth Vader. I'm like, I can't believe no uh, one did that before. Have, have uh, Jared, have you seen uh, um, the, the, the Kevin Conroy where he talked about the Batman voice? He called it absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Or it's like, it's like honest trailers watch Batman's ongoing battle with throat cancer. So, so, uh, um, so Chuck, um, what are what like, um, you know how like at, kind of in the late two thousands they did the battle for the cowl storyline. Like I don't think you were kind of involved with that, but look, no. like what what is your uh, thoughts on that storyline where they kind of touched upon similar ground but went in a different direction than, than they did with uh, Nightfall? Yeah, I I, I I always disappoint people with this answer, but I really don't read any comics, you know, of characters really? once I've left them. It's like watching your kids <laughs> go off with that other dad. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of dad analogies. <laughs> but I, I only know when fans like will show me something particularly outrageous. You go, did you see this? You know, I'm supposed to get all upset about it. <laughs> Tim but, Drake. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not paid to get upset about this stuff anymore. So, I mean, I, I love the characters. I loved while I was working on them, but I am a professional writer. So I've kind of moved on. That's true. So speaking of that, let me ask this. What was your reaction when they all of a sudden made Tim Drake buy for no reason? Well, it's just a, it's just, you know, creative bankruptcy. It's, exactly. You know, they they, they, they they have two buttons at DC and Marvel. The one is make them gay and the other one is kill them. Uh, and I guess a third button is bring them back. So uh, it seems they, to be the only two they're, ideas. They're fiercely they pressing this button now. Yeah, it's like, bring them back, bring them back. It's all about getting noticed on the internet, which doesn't translate into sales. Mm-mm. But I they got, don't learn that. They never learned that. I legit got blasted on the internet, by the way, for for saying that this stuff doesn't sell well. 
and for proposing that DC needs a reboot of its continuity because it's a mess. And then they said, well, that would get rid of all the gay characters. And I'm like, did I say that? No. And then, the, and then I said, but if you look at the sales, a lot of these characters, I'm sorry, don't sell well because you make these characters like stereotypes of gay people instead right. of just people that happen to be gay. Right. The only one that the, the only one that kind of worked was Batwoman, which incidentally was you took a mantle that hadn't been used in 30 years, you know, because Batwoman existed, I think, in the 60s, 50s or whatever. It was created and, to, to, uh, to dispel rumors that Batman was gay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's the best part. They gave, uh, you know, they gave they gave him a girlfriend like Batgirl was was also part of that thing. Um, it's hilarious. Um, but yeah. Uh, sorry. I, I, we need to talk. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I just, I just, you know, they do it. I mean, ever since they made the news when Superman uh, got married, mm -hmm. you know, th that's all they think about now. They think that's success if we get mentioned on the nightly news. And at this point, they, they don't get mentioned anywhere because they've made every character gay. Exactly. <laughs> Which, to be clear, it's okay if you have gay characters, but yeah. when it's one after another and it's like, it gets to a point where it starts to be a gimmick and not like you actually trying to represent people. Like when uh, North Star got married, the first gay marriage in comics, it barely made a blip. Well, it's like when you just stick black in front of a character's name and mm -hmm. have them end every other sentence with man, and you think that's enough characterization for a black <laughs> character. And it's like, you know, these characters are vapid and uninteresting. They don't put the effort in because, frankly, they chased everybody that had any idea of how to craft a comic away uh they don't have anybody left it's not going to be a thing right. yeah it's like so it's like what they did with john ken superman they make him superman just so they can say superman is by that was the whole heading not superman's son not right. superboy no it was superman right yeah, yeah like it's, it's green lantern green lantern is gay oh, oh it's the golden age green lantern that you've never heard of that, that no one oh, cares Alan, about, Alan, too. That's the other thing. I'm like, what? Alan Scott? Yeah. They made Alan Scott gay? Really? Yeah. They did that in Earth 2 in the new um, 52. That was Tom Taylor. He's constantly making characters gay for no reason. What's next? They're going to make uh, Jake, uh, Jay Garrett gay? <laughs> Don't give them any ideas. Don't Jake. tempt them. Don't tempt them. Oh, they'll like, get around to it. Come on. They're all, get around they're all up to be gay. Right. Now they just consider them all, you know, whatever they want them to be. I mean, it, honestly, it I, I just want to. I just want a. Uh, I just want to do a storyline with a Joker where it's like I call this the straight team. It makes every. It's like in the straight. office. It's like in the office where where Jim convinces Dwight that there's such a thing as gaydar. That's kind of what that is. But it's kind of funny. There's a reason why they make them always, except for in the case of Iceman, bye. Because if the, if the gay relationship doesn't work out, hey, he's back with Batgirl or spoiler or whatever. Right. And we'll just conveniently forget that they also like dudes. Yeah, but canonically forget that. Nobody's ever going to forget that. That's part of the continuity now. <laughs> yeah, uh, until they do another reboot, which is why DC has not, not done a reboot in a while. I mean, we did everything we could when I was working under Denny O'Neill to make people forget that Batman had a son. Uh, <laughs> but did it work? No. Good That's luck. Part of continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think this was before your time. This is kind of like late sixties. I was saying this like Neil Adams era, where it's like they 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 shipped Dick Grayson off to college. Right. Right. Yeah, they're like, get him away. We don't need these rumors anymore. Go to college. <laughs> Go to college. We'll have another Robin and he'll be all fine. Oh, wait, that's Jason Todd. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh, I, I think what's kind of funny is that they always pick the characters that have historically been either a, a, either like very, very, very strict ladies men, as in the case of Iceman, or were dating a woman at the time. Right. Or, so, or, just, or like what they're doing. I think like when they're, they're doing that stuff to Star Lord, I think a lot of that is because Chris Pratt. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it is because they don't like the actor that plays Star Lord. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They you know he's an enemy of you know what all they desire. You know that guy stands he's, away, he's and he's like got, he's got the power looking. to to make things happen. You know that he approves of, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but and it's like it's something. It's Get this straight. You think that's being creative and in the same company where we have Snowflake and Safe Space being proposed as characters. And I'm like, 
I still can't believe that, that that was a serious pitch, by the way. The new Warriors. I'm like, at, at what point do you admit that you run out of ideas, Marvel? Well, never, because they've been out of ideas for an awfully long time. The uh, house of out of ideas. You know yeah. it's bad when they announce they're killing the Justice League and no one cares. Yeah. Well, and no one like, believes they're it. They're going to come back. Yeah. I'm no back one stays dead in comics except Uncle Ben. And Last night, that, they'll bring him back. Yesterday, they announced the, they're renaming the the event "Crisis on Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths" because again, they've run out of ideas. So they have to tie it to a successful story, and then they show a panel of the Justice League coming back, and I'm like, big surprise. Well, it's you know, it's like they'll kill characters that are part of movie franchises, and it's like, why would you do this? I mean, when when they killed Superman, um, Mike Carlin, who was editing the Superman books at the time, told me that the, the that it was a very successful sales-wise in the comic shops, but they lost the Superman peanut butter and Superman vitamins license because the licensor said, he's dead. We don't want him promoting our products. <laughs> it's like, and, and Mike said, we, 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 did, we hadn't even considered that when we came up with the idea. So these things impact beyond the comics and nobody seems to care. They don't seem to consider any of that. And the problem also is that not only when they kill characters, and I think Marvel's a, a historically been a little worse on this, when they replace like characters just so they can like, here's the new gimmick. We have the black Captain America, the, uh, the female Thor. Instead of saying, let's give them their own identity so they can be unique characters instead of just giving them hand-me-down mantles. Well, it, somebody showed me an image the other day of Miles Morales as Thor, and, oh. and he, has, <laughs> he has graffiti on on the hammer, and and he's wearing Air Jordans. And I'm like, whoa, you know, that's just offensive. The, the stereotypes. Everyone thought that was offensive. It's straight out racist. It's yeah. straight out racist. Did, yeah. like, let's call spade a spade. When the hammer showed up, he even went, "It's hammer time." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like he, the, yeah. He literally said it's hammer time. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! And you got you know the writer. Was, the writer was patting themselves on the back for thinking of that. And it's like, wow, that's the that's the only that's the line I would never have used here. Like that is like the most stereotypical line. Like it is just so like I'm just I can't, I can't wrap my head He's around. He's referring to Asgard as his hood. So yeah. I'm like, uh, at what point do you decide maybe we're going a little too racist in this? Yeah, I mean, I sit here all day long, and the question I ask myself while I'm writing is, is there a better way to say this? And apparently this writer doesn't ever ask themselves that question. Did, did any, like, uh, the thing that I wonder, because, like, the editors for this book are so conspicuously silent on this, you know, did the, any of them just, like, look at it and be like, you know, this is kind of racist, maybe we should, uh, you know, kind of redo this. Phrase this better. <laughs> Yeah. That's my other, that's the question I always ask whenever these big, like, uh, media hugabaloos happen. It's like, who is editing these books? Because you know this has to go, you know this better than anyone. This has to go through an approval process. Who is checking off on this? It's like when they had Superman being violated in prison. Who decided that was okay? Wait, that oh. happened? The, yeah. it, it's in an Elseworlds book. But with DC, they established the omniverse where everything is current continuity. Yeah, it's, it's um, the word I use is indifference. These editors mm -hmm. really don't care about the content of the books mm -hmm. anymore. They're, they're not interested. In, and this was true, you know, in my last days at DC. My, my Batman editor just didn't give a crap what went on the pages. Uh, and the, the results are obvious. You know, and, and when you get the feeling from your editor that they don't give a crap, then you don't give a crap either. You know, you're, you're, you, you, you realize that they don't have faith in you. They're not engaged. They're not interested. You can't do your best work. Not that that's to excuse a lot of the bad writing I see. This is bad writing. This would be bad writing even if they were standing there with a gun to their head saying, write this well. They couldn't, they can't do it. And it's also because, like you you said before, they either have scared away or have fired or have canceled all the real talent. So you're stuck with all of the D-tier writers. It's like you you lose like Jason Fabok on art. You lose Ethan Van Skyber. You lose all these guys that made DC what it is today. And in my mind, the better publishing house than Marvel. Well, yeah, what they did was create a vacuum. 
-hmm. and nothing good ever rushes in to fill a vacuum. No, it's always the opportunists that come in and ruin things. Yeah, the opportunists, the tourists, you know, people that are only there for some other agenda than to create uh, great comic stories. I want to write for Batman, so that way I can say I wrote for Batman. It would look great on my resume. Exactly. There, there was this writer that uh, that had Batman. So Batman's like so swinging through the city. He comes across people looting. And then he just walks away. <laughs> I'm like, and he goes, don't worry, they have insurance. Oh. <laughs> like, what? Have you read a Batman book? He's very extremist on don't violate the law. But the real uh, Batman would swoop down there and uh, and he would shatter some spines. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, and he, he would he would discourage them from looting in a, in a non-lethal way. So, I mean, not as, as he's holding, as he's holding, he would tactically subdue them. Yes, yes. You get the scene from the Batman, you know, where where you know where he, he could took down those gang people. Beat like that, that. That's the scene that I imagine. You know, like the I am I'm vengeance scene. Which, uh, oh, by the way, what did you think of the Batman with Robert Patterson? The Batman what? The Batman with Robert Patterson. What did you think of that movie? I haven't seen it. I haven't oh, really? Seen it. I, I don't rush out to see these movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell. <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, but it's like, uh, another thing I've noticed that's really funny is that people will say, well, Batman doesn't kill. But when you look at the maneuvers he pulls on, like, henchmen, or like anyone in the movies, like he's punching their faces into concrete multiple times. I'm like, it doesn't matter what the creative have said. Sure, if you're trying, to, if you're trying to market this- sure, you can find a pulse, but is there any brain activity? Yeah, if you're trying to market this as like a grounded Batman, he just killed them. Yeah, I mean, how many henchmen fall like four stories? We never see them again. <laughs> Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you know- Setting well, them on Keaton. fire. Michael Keaton had machine guns on the Batmobile. I mean, he set people on fire with the back with the afterburner. Of his that's Batmobile. my that's my big problem with people on Twitter because they'll be like, I don't like Ben Affleck's Batman because he kills people and uses guns. I love Michael Keaton. I'm like, what? Yeah. You do? He dropped a grenade in someone's pants and smiled. <laughs> or they'll say, my favorite Batman is Christian Bale. Oh, you mean the dude that says, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you as a train is going into like a building? <laughs> Right. You still right. killed people. Yeah, that's not Batman. No. And, and, and that's what's honestly kind of interesting because when you think about it, no real Hollywood movie has really done that no kill rule right because even in, in the Pattinson movie, it's done, but it's not overdone. I'm not going to spoil the movie. Even in the Schumacher films, yeah. uh, Batman killed people. Or it's like in the in the Nolan movies, he says, I don't kill people. The what about Rachel Ghoul? Right. Yeah. But the thing is, it, 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 again, it's lazy writing. Killing mm -hmm. off the characters, that's easy. Figuring out a way to subdue them without killing them, that's, that's hard. Uh, that's, why, that's why, you know, Superman is a character that flummoxes so many writers because they don't understand. This guy's not only super strong, he's super intelligent. And a lot of the challenges, a lot of the great Superman stories have not been physical challenges. They've been intellectual challenges. How is he going to work his way out of this dilemma and everybody's alive at the end, you know, including Lex and Lois and Jimmy. And yep. um, that's the brilliance of the character, but they, you know, they just cut to the, you know, they just take shortcuts and, oh, well, I, I, I can't defeat this guy. I'm just going to kill him. Yeah. And, or they'll make, or, or they'll do the, the new comic book trait of making Superman a villain, like have evil Superman. But it's like, I, I, and I was having a, a conversation with someone and uh, they, they were like, well, Superman's boring. He's super strong. He's invulnerable and stuff. And I said, here's what you don't understand about Superman. Yes. He's super strong and he has all these powers. Yes. He's invulnerable. Yes. That's all true. But he's the ideal. He's what we could be if we apply ourselves, if we're hopeful he, he he's what happens if humanity embraces hope case in point all-star superman is that entire if you if if anyone ever asked me what do i read to perfectly understand the superman character all-star yeah well, and that that movie that, that book is so good and movie well yeah. he's, he's a paragon he's a model for us and we're reaching up to be as super as superman but at the same time he's reaching down to us because his desire is to be considered human to be, to be one of us. So it, it's an extremely nuanced character with a lot of story uh, in him, but people just look at him as, you know, he's just a Boy Scout. 
you know, and it's, it's like, like no. I know, and I know people rag on like you know the like shoving the Jesus metaphor onto him, but honestly, that's what he um, is. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was leading to, where it's like, yeah, I mean, sure, don't do it as ham fisted, but like you know, the Jesus metaphor is actually pretty valid when it comes to Superman. Right, right, and you got you know you've got you know all these human moments you can. I mean, writing Clark Kent is just as fascinating to me as as writing Superman would be. So it's, I want to see like a though I want to see like a story where it's like Zodiac, where like Clark Kent has to track down the Zodiac killer, you know, but he can't do it as Superman. He has to do it as Clark Kent, you know, like he like like he like Superman, like yeah, I as Superman, I could go out there and find him in five minutes, but like then then how do I explain this to my editor? So like I have to do this and like journalistic it up as as Clark Kent, like that would be a really interesting story. Yeah, he, he has to solve the crime in a way it's going to stand up in court. Yeah, exactly. No, and that's also what's interesting because the, that's a way that, that DC could get get into the fact that like uh, all of Bat Batman's guys uh, eventually get on the street because he beats the crap out of them. So it's like <laughs> you could take it as intimidation. Yeah, yeah, and Batman is never going to testify in court. So Batman treats yeah, exactly. every witness as hostile. Yeah. Exactly. I think they did a storyline where like Bruce Wayne has jury duty or something like that. And, it, <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's probably the most boring story, story ever. I don't know. A, like played well. It could be kind of interesting. I could make that a fun story. I, I know you can because, because unlike today's uh, unlike today's Batman talent, you actually have talent. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I would do this. I would put the sweat in and make that an interesting story. Exactly. So, um, uh, uh, something I want to touch on. I had to bring up Nightwing. Now, you mean obviously Nightwing is a superhero. Um, I know. I know that you mentioned you touched upon this in your act, Chuck Dixon. But like, could you kind of bring it up here? Why did you guys end up nuking Bloodhaven? Well, I, you know, they began killing all my villains that I created, <laughs> and um, and you I, created some really good villains for that story, by the way. Yeah, yeah I wanted him to have his own rogues gallery. I like. I never wanted Nightwing to be Batman Junior. Uh, so uh, he created his own environment, created his own rogues gallery, his own special challenges. Uh, but you know, once oh, I, I love left... Torque. Torque was such a great, a cool idea for villain. I love Torque. <laughs> but but what... just, my head's on the other way around. Right, <laughs> right. It makes no sense. Probably wouldn't work. But it's it's a Batman villain. I mean, you know, <laughs> you got Two Face. You got a guy with his head on backwards. So um, so when I left DC, they just began systematically murdering my villains. And at first I thought, well, they're just killing characters. And I realized, no, it's only my characters they seem to be killing. They're, <laughs> they're killing characters that only appeared in one issue. It's like they're hunting them down to kill them. It's like they're reminding readers who they were just before they off them. And then when they nuked Bloodhaven, I realized, okay, it's personal. Because they wanted to make sure they got everybody, that they didn't forget anybody. But they, they did. They forgot Lady Vic because she wasn't a local. She, she didn't live in Bloodhaven. So she's still in continuity. And then they brought her back into Titans, and uh, you got a nice fat check from that, probably. Well, it's animation, so you get... You live know. action. Was it? Yeah, yeah Titans season three was live action. Yeah, those... Yeah, they're, they're kind of... I don't know how they do the math on that stuff, because they actually pay more for story content than character use. Really? It's not till you get to action figure and Legos that you see any kind of real money. <laughs> <laughs> so we won't be seeing a lady pick action figure anytime soon. Well, you know, maybe. Uh, I don't know. So. Ask McFarlane. He'll make an action figure for that. <laughs> he makes an action figure off of anyone that's tangentially in a panel of of, uh, of comics. So, so of the of the, like the rogues gallery you created for Nightwing, which one was your favorite? Mine was probably like Blockbuster. I really like, you know, his Blockbuster was a Nightwing villain. Well, he was. Yeah. The, he was. Yeah, I didn't create Blockbuster. They sort of said Blockbuster is going to be in this. They wanted Blockbuster as part of it. Uh, huh. Yeah, he was I, like he, the big bad of your run. Yeah, he was created in the '60s, actually, as oh. sort of a, a Hulk knockoff. Um, oh. But um, yeah, I, I, my favorite of all of them was uh, Tad Ryerstad, the, uh, the the Nightwing wannabe. Uh, oh, was, oh, uh, N I T E wing. -E oh my God, I love that storyline. Are you kidding me? That, that's the dude's he name. Was, he wore a hockey jersey because he didn't couldn't he he couldn't make. I it remember it was Casey line. Jones. Yeah. He just had Nightwing put on it, probably. You know, 
Probably, he went to Dick's Sporting Goods that Nightwing put on it for himself. Oh my god! I think it was but, like a chicken shack he got the name from or something. Yeah, Not Nightwing. He's the Walmart right. Nightwing. Right, exactly, exactly. And he was. I uh, love that storyline. I'm oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm, I, I like the character because he wanted to be a vigilante, but of course he was a, you know, vicious, angry, <laughs> racist psychopath. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's like Dick Grayson is like, okay, he's gonna be my Robin. And and then and then Nightwing went too far, killed a cop, and yeah. oh my god, I remember that storyline. I remember reading that storyline as a teen, and I loved it. No, I, he's probably sorry, the most, just triggered some nostalgia. He's probably the most three dimensional of, of all those villains, so that I created, uh, and the one the one I really liked the most. That's true. So so speaking of, of rogues gallery, I wanted to ask, who's your favorite of Batman's rogues? Um. The Riddler, he's the hardest to write. That's true. Been my favorite. <laughs> That's true, though, because you have to write smart enough so the riddles are actually tough to solve. Yeah, because yeah. the Riddler is not really a physical challenge. I mean, sometimes no. they, they pop him up on Venom and then then he can fight. But, or know. like he was in the Batman, but let's be on the point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. The thing with the Riddler is you got to come up with the riddles. Mm -hmm. and I, I had dozens of riddle books and still would have to make up half the riddles. And then the riddles have to serve two purposes. They have to um, both lead Batman toward the crime and lead Batman away from the crime if he answers the riddle incorrectly. So it's it's tough, man. The TV show set that template up, and mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a tough one to write, but he's my favorite character. I only, I only wrote him a few times because of that. My favorite part of the Batman TV show is where they have the henchmen in black shirts that, that just say henchmen on it. <laughs> That's great. Okay. My favorite uh, of Batman Rogue, by the way, is Bane. Because, oh, thank you. Well, because he, he, here's the thing about Bane. He, you expect him to be like this Hulk-like character, but no, he's a smart dude. He finds out, uh, he finds out who, who Batman is. He systematically tears him down. And then, and then he, he he chooses the right moment to strike, and then he takes out Batman. Right, right. Not a lot of people can say I've taken out Batman. No, no. What, I mean, what was your reaction when when you when you heard about what they're doing to Bane and Batman and Robin? Like, what was your reaction to that? Um. Oh yeah, well, the movie. Well, like you know, I, I learned about it, uh, and I was like, okay, he's gonna be in the movie. They didn't let us see the screenplay. That's the first. That's the first red flag right there. And I didn't get excited or have an opinion until I went to Toy Fair, and I saw all the action figures uh, they were going to make up. <laughs> you know, wow, this is going to be great. Um, and it was pretty great. It would have been even greater if the movie was good and actually <laughs> actually, actually was a hit. It, Batman and Robin was the first Batman movie that wasn't the number one movie of the year. Uh, first Batman movie that wasn't the number one movie of the year. It it, it barely made back its investment, uh, but but it paid off in you know action figures and tchotchkes and stuff like that. Merchandising, merchandising. So yeah, merchandising, merchandising. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's where the money is. But it didn't turn him into a household name like Dark Knight Rises did. I mean, Dark Knight Rises. Everybody knows who Bane is now. Every all you have to do is go like this. You, you were born story. in the darkness. Shit. Oh, I was just about to do the same bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's my show. I did it first. Okay. <laughs> you, you are correct. But in the Lego game, what's really funny is that when you play as Bane, the other player is playing as Nightwing and you go to punch him, he will break the character's back. <laughs> and it actually makes that. the sound of the back breaking. Oh, wow. And you get, a, and you get an Xbox achievement that says Atomic Backbreaker. Wow. That's dark. Well, Lego uses him all the time. I mean, they put him in games he doesn't even belong in. Yeah, they did some sort of Justice League space game, and they. Oh him. yeah, he was in that. He was yeah. in like the, the, the super villain game. It made sense because it's all super villains. It's right. like. <laughs> it's like it's like in Injustice, he sides with Superman, and I'm like, well, that's a big surprise. The, you're telling me all the villains sided with the authoritarian dude, really? <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't predict that. that. Shocked. <laughs> I couldn't predict that. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So you've kind of a, a addressed this uh, a little bit, but what do you think is the chief issue uh, facing the comic book industry, and probably the reason why comics are still like a niche market or so? Well, they, 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 comics have always been terrible at merchandising themselves uh, mm -hmm. and, and marketing themselves, getting themselves out there. 
and uh, they and and you know when they dove so hard into the direct market and abandoned the newsstand, the writing was on the wall that sales were going to decline, and they did. We saw a huge. I mean, I would get royalty statements, and you know, I sold big time on the newsstands. I did okay in the comic shops, and this is for every title. I mean, Savage Sword of Conan, for example, when I worked on it, sold thirty thousand through the newsstand or through the comic shops. It sold a quarter of a million through newsstands. Hmm. So wow. um, when they made a determined effort to leave the leave their the this huge casual readership behind, they sort of made comics invisible. I mean, nobody walks cold into a comic shop. You've got to be a total fanatic before you walk into a comic shop. So where are you going to see comics to, to become a fanatic? You're not. There's no entry level. There's no you know gateway drug for comics now because gateway drugs to, at the drugstore. Yeah, you have to go to a comic shop to, to, to find them. And like I said, nobody's going to walk cold into a comic shop. No kid is going to go in there. What they um, and I've always said what they could probably do is that since people are watching all the movies and waiting till the end, at the end before the post credit scene plays, have like a, a a graphic that plays and says for more on Batman, see your local comic book shop or something like that. Hey, maybe that, maybe that, that that's too good of an idea. That's the too problem. good of an idea. Exactly. Oh, yeah, 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 no, yeah, that, that's literally what they would say in in other words. You know, that's too good an idea, and we didn't think of it first. But uh, do something to connect comic books to the, to the movie output uh, and also create some comic books that have something to do with the movie output that readers will want to read. I mean, I mean, they did that in the 2000s. Like, I remember there was like, you know, Spider-Man tie-ins, there was like some X-Men tie-ins. They did yeah. do that, but I think at some point they just kind of stopped doing it, which, you know, which is kind of weird. Like, you think a lead up to Endgame, you know, like how cool would it be to have put out some comics during the year between Infinity War and Endgame have some comics saying like, "Hey, this is what Black Widow was doing during the blip." You know, like there, that's that's money on the table right there. Well, I, I, I mean, I'll give you a, a prime example of the kind of thinking that keeps comics a niche market. Um, in the '90s, they did these. Uh, they did a Batman and uh, Superman magazine, which was done by a magazine company, but DC pro they provided the material for it. And this magazine company was distributing them, you know, along with like a Barbie magazine, a Spider-Man magazine, you know, and um, they were distributing these things and they were selling like a half million copies a month. I mean, way more than any comic book was selling at the time. And um, Marvel bought the company, the magazine company. Well, DC said, we don't want Marvel distributing a Batman and Superman magazine. So they canceled it. They canceled it themselves. And a number of us went to them and said, well, why don't we produce the magazine ourselves in-house? And the answer was, we don't have anyone to do that. And it's like, hire someone to do it because this is reaching a much larger audience than any of the comics. It's, it's out there. Everybody can see this magazine, and, but they, they, they weren't interested. And I, and I have a, a number of times had, um, proposed ideas, and I'm not the only creator who's done this, proposed ideas and gotten the answer that that's not the audience we want. Of uh, course. You know, and it's yeah. like, you can't choose your audience. Your audience chooses you. Exactly. <laughs> as much as you'll try by replacing characters, you can't choose the audience. And, and that's the other thing that I think Marvel ran into is because when the MCU got big, people would go like, okay, so I, I want to go read a Thor comic. I just saw the Thor movie. I'm going to go read the Thor comic. J who's Jane Foster? Right. Who, like, oh, I love Iron Man. Like, who is this Riri Williams? Oh, I love the Hulk. I love, you know, like, wait, who's Amadeus Cho? Like, who are, like, like you know... There's a reason like, why they undid all that real fast. Yeah, but they were determined like to break that connection. I don't I don't get it, you know, um, other than hubris or ignorance. I, or like I said, I just, indifference. I just wonder how many times someone wandered into a comic shop and be like, I want to read about Tony Stark and Iron Man. The comic's like, but no, we have this uh, Jane Foster story. She's just awesome. Or like, oh, we have Reeve. Like, no, that's not Tony Stark. And then I they would walk love out there. I would and love to be behind fan, the counter for that. And, and, you know, they walk in, they want to read about Tony Stark Iron Man, and they see Riri Williams, and they walk back out, and they never come back again. He just lost potential fans. And that okay. had to play out countless times in the past 10 years. I'm sure. I mean, another example, late 90s, you were doing a lot of 80-page giants, and they were all new. It was an 80-page story, basically a graphic novel. And we were able to obviously charge a higher price point for it. 
and they were doing really well. And I wrote a whole bunch of Batman, 80 page giants, and they all did very well. And then this one of the Superman editors assigned me a Superman one. And I came up with an idea and I started working on it. And then he called me and said, stop working on that. We're not going to do, you're not going to write that 80 page giant. And I said, well, what, what changed your mind? And he says, well, we realize you've written too many of these. I said, but they all sell. Who cares? It's called making money. Yeah, they're, they're making money. What's the problem? And they said, well, you know, it's not fair. You're writing too many of them. It's like, this is, this is oh not God. the way a publishing business thinks. <laughs> well, a lot of these people aren't very much in, in line with capitalism. Let's not forget about that. So. so I actually had an editor once say to me, I had made a suggestion on changing something. And he said, well, we don't want to make this a bigger cash grab from the fans than it is already. I'm like, okay, you want it to be less successful. <laughs> no. Wow. that That's hilarious. But you would hear that kind of stuff apparently, all the time. Nick, apparently Nick left, but okay. But yeah, so, okay, and he's back. But yes, yeah, so, that's hilarious. I, I didn't know that. It's, it's like when uh, DC eventually uh, gave all of their graphic novel line to Random House to distribute rather mm -hmm. than DC distributing it themselves. And one of the first problems they ran into was Random House would say, look, you have to make your print dates. These things have to be at the printer when you say they're going to be. Otherwise, they cost a fortune. These delays mm -hmm. cost a fortune. Why are these graphic novels delayed? And they said, well, we're waiting on cover art. And Random House was like, you already have cover art. They're collections of like six comic books. Pick <laughs> one of those six covers and that's the cover. <laughs> but that was, that was just typical the way that, you know, they were running the business. It's not, it's just a silly way to run a business. But the, the, the problem is the original sin of comics is, is the money always found them. They never had to go looking for it. The history of comics is one surprise after another. It's like, oh, action number one, there were no returns on it. Why? Uh, maybe it's the Superman guy. I mean, they didn't think about it. The money found them. But when they have to go looking for the money, when they actually have to market them and, and find new audiences, they, they, they have no clue. The last successful attempt to find a new comic audience was Vertigo Comics. And, and DC hated Vertigo Comics. The DC hierarchy really never cared for that. Like, Even though and, Vertigo was some of the most original stories of, of like the past 30 years. I mean, yeah, they were comics that didn't appeal to me, but I appreciate the fact that they, they existed and they were, they were finding a new, a, an older audience. And when Dan DiDio took over DC, he was determined to, to end that line because he didn't like them. But, well, but, but and he told me, when I first met him, he says, well, we're carrying Vertigo. And I said, how are you carrying Vertigo when they have like three movies in the works right now? Of course. Well, Didio has made qu quite a few questionable decisions <laughs> when running DC, like Rick Grayson or no. like... Uh, or his handling of Stephanie Brown. Uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, even worse. I'm sorry, his, but like... His hate obsession with Stephanie Brown. I don't or know, his hate obsession with like, or actually DC's overall hate obsession with Wally West. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, like the one time a legacy character actually worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was coming at it from with all of his fan prejudices intact. And you can't, can't do that. You've got to, you know, you know, you got to suit up and be a, 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 a publisher, an editor in chief. And you can't hold those prejudices that you had when you were just reading the stuff. I mean, you, so, you well, actually have to be professional. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, yeah. Because he would always say, you know, Nightwing is an irrelevant character. Well, irrelevant or not, he he's sells. very, very popular. It's, it's really crazy that we're only really just now starting to see Nightwing break into the mainstream. And even yeah. then, he's still rather niche. Like I, I was a Nightwing fan, like back in the like I'm put my hipster glasses. Um, you know, I was a Nightwing fan back in like the late '90s, early 2000s, and whatnot. And I loved him, and he was star for appearances of Nightwing. Like he was on the animated series, and then an episode of the of the of the good Teen Titans, and then that was it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. now we're starting to get some like uh, his appearance on the Titans. He's starting to appear more like. Like I remember go, walking into an FYE and seeing this display of Nightwing merchandise, and I was happy because like, oh, they're starting to push Nightwing, and that made me really happy. Yeah. And then Dan DeDio was like, no. Yep, that's the way it works. 
Yeah, this was this uh that uh, that uh that FYE event was probably like 2015 or so. You know, around you know around that time where they really started to push Nightwing. It was, it was it was interesting. Well, that's the thing. I mean, when the when the licensors come around, the toy companies and clothing companies and stuff, they have no idea who these characters are or anything else. And they'll say to the editors, well, who's the most popular characters that we should make a t-shirt of? And the editor will tell them whether that character is popular or not. <laughs> and so <laughs> or it's like, oh, here's my pet project character that I'm trying to get pushed for, for the royalty check. It's my oh, OC. This, oh, this, this, oh, John Kett is a, is the most popular character. Oh, right. Kamala Khan or Captain Marvel is the most pow uh, a powerful and wonderful combat character. Our universe is named after Captain Marvel. <laughs> oh, and also Ms. Marvel is the first mutant in the MCU. Yep. And we're, oh, we're going to dig up the original Red of the Grabs we now which everyone hates anyway. And she's going to come out and say, oh, I, I will say what's really me. funny about them now replacing Inhumans with mutants is that for the longest time, Marvel's trying to replace mutants with Inhumans. So it's kind of interesting seeing it like reverse now. <laughs> well, that was just, that was, uh, what's his name? The, the billionaire uh, that really kind of was really held back early, the early MCU. I can't remember what his name was. Axel Alonso? No, no, no. It was like some crusty old billionaire. Uh, Perlmutter? Yeah, Perlmutter. Yeah, Perlmutter. Oh, like, okay. He's the guy... He He's the guy who who prevented Black Panther coming out earlier, and like Black he wanted Widow. to cut Tony cut Tony Stark from Civil War. Eventually, you know, Disney kind of wised up and you know split. How do you cut Iron Man from Civil War? He's kind of important in that story. Yeah, yeah he's kind of the leader of the one side. Um, but Pearl Mutter, money. Uh, I think Pearl Mutter once said, "All black guys look the same in regards to replacing Rhodey." Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah like, that bad that like, bad these executives don't know what they're doing because it's like it, uh, there's this famous storyline when they were when they were making man of steel and uh, so chris terrio was writing the screenplay and a, a note from the studio that they got back from him now once again this is the origin of superman they go he shouldn't like use the ship uh, the, the little pod ship to uh, to defeat zod because if that ship is destroyed how is he going to get back to krypton <laughs> and Sue and Terrio legit said Krypton blew up. You saw a half hour of it. Oh, you want to hear another like, really, what? really crazy story? Sure. Oh, like, like, so Fox really messed over the X Men series. So when Gavin Hood was directing X Men Origins, the original set for when when Wolverine got his adamant skeleton was a lot darker and, and grungy and whatnot. So the, the executives came. They wanted him to, to repaint it. He said no. So they lured him off set with the facts. And then while he was off set, they repainted it to look more bright and colorful. And that's what you saw on screen. That's, that's like when uh, when they pitched Walking, <clears throat> they pitched Walking Dead to NBC. The NBC exec said, well, can they solve crimes? <laughs> what? <laughs> Zombie detective unit. Zombie detective unit. Yeah, it, it, I'm I'm watching this and I'm like, but that's it, it, this is why I have always said these Hollywood executives should just say, okay, so we're gonna we're, we're gonna make this movie. Hire the creatives, do whatever you want. Uh, go ahead, just just do whatever you want. Because let me this way, executives um doing whatever they want is exactly why we got like the travesty that uh, that was the old version of Justice League, right. Well, that's why we have all of this stuff we have, this un, this forgettable crap that they put on the screen. Exactly. It's, 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 all, it's all safe. It's, it's like, what's going to make us money? And then, like, they'll be, they, you know, it's like before the movie comes out, they'll be like, this movie's not going to make money. I had no part in it. And then the movie comes out and it's the Joker. Like, oh, I always I always knew this movie was going to I always it. had faith. I, I was on set every day. I was the one whispering in the director's ear. But, but it's all conservation of risk. And, you know, this go, Hollywood goes through cycles of this. I mean, they went through a cycle of this in the 60s. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a law of diminishing returns. If you're always playing it safe, eventually uh, everybody gets bored and the, the output is tedious. And, you know, uh, viewers aren't stupid. They'll just stop watching. Yeah, that's why in the 70s, when we had like the new crop of directors come up, that's why we kind of had like the second golden age of Hollywood. You know, it's like right. in the 70s, you had the Lucases, the Spielbergs, the Corsesis, you know, they, they were they were prime and ready. Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, they were working with low budgets and, and, and working magic, putting every cent up on the screen. 
and uh, you know the passion, the heart, and uh, you know audiences responded to that. Obviously, that's, but now we're yeah, that's, <clears throat> we're in a world where you know Martin Scorsese doesn't even make Martin Scorsese movies anymore. No, I I, I love how um, you know Martin Scorsese. You know, like five years ago, he said like he, he ragged on MCU movies, and then he compared them to westerns. Like no, 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 no. And now and now everyone's kind of come around. Like oh, maybe he was right. No, no, he, yeah, he was. He's Martin it's Scorsese. A cycle. He's right. It's a cycle. It's like any other cycle. It's just ending slower than other cycles do. Because most of the time, you know, when I was a kid, it was spies. And, and the spy craze ended like overnight. Nobody wanted to see any spy movies anymore. All the spy television shows got canceled like within a week of each other. Because what do you think is fell the next the craze? Floor. What do you what? think is the next craze? I think the next craze is going to be video game movies. I think video game movies are starting to come up. I think that's going to be like the next craze. Well, that's like he, the next generation. Here's the thing, though. I think really w with the whole superhero things, pe people are getting tired of superhero movies that are always comedies. Yeah. Because the yeah, MCU, I... post Guardians of the Galaxy, it's all com it's all like Ace Ventura level comedy. You know, I think the next phase is no phase. It'll be like the 80s. You know, 80s was every genre. I mean, it was action films. It was teen comedies. It was romantic comedies. It was adult suspense films. You had everything. In, in the 80s. Uh, Fast times at Ridgemont High reboot. <laughs> <laughs> they are rebooting the Predator, so <laughs> Oh please. For like the 15th time. Yeah, yeah. No, well they're gonna they're gonna break my rule that every other Predator movie is good. Uh this one <laughs> is looks as bad as the last one. What really sucks is like the premise actually sounds kind of interesting, like Native <clears throat> American versus a predator. Yeah. And and like and I I really don't even have a problem with like a female like female Indian warrior going as a predator like sure I could it's done right I could probably buy it but like it just seems stupid you know you know they're going woke with it yeah yeah it just it, it just looks idiotic and you know when you think about the predator <clears throat> and you know the history of it you know the, uh, and what it takes to bring one of these one of these creatures down I mean that's the highlight of the film is that final confrontation where you're not sure the hero is going to make it out alive and when it's a teenage girl you know what the hell? <laughs> That's why I think like um, all this stuff is. We kind of look, you know, the Predators movie, the old Robert Rodriguez came on twenty ten. Be like, okay, that one's actually kind of decent. Like, I, I still, I, I will stand for that movie. I feel like that's actually a good movie. Like, it actually. That's a very. I just rewatched re it recently. That's a good movie. You know. Yeah, I it's like got like it. a team of people, like a team of really bad people. You put them on a game preserve planet. Like, it, 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 it it's really, it's, and it has like that final confrontation. You and know, there's and three really predators, good. each are different, each are unique, and it's like mm -hmm. one's a hunter, one's a swordsman. So it's not just like three clones. And they yeah, actually made Topher Grace menacing. Like that is <laughs> yeah, a miracle yeah. of itself. I know, dude. That is a Chris, that is a miracle. They actually made him scary. I, I was recovering from his portrayal of Venom. Yeah, and there were a lot of surprises in, in in the movie. I mean, the Larry Fishburne character, I didn't see that coming, you know. Stuff like that. I mean, it, it, that I've watched it like five times. It really holds. I just up. think I'm, Robert Rodriguez is probably one of the most criminally underrated directors of our yeah, time. Yeah, probably. <clears throat> I would say yeah. so. And then they, they they followed it up with that okay but not good uh, uh, other Predator movie. Where, oh, like smoke a lot of, that movie. Basically, the only way to enjoy the movie is you smoke a lot of weed, turn oh. your brain off. And then just have some edibles throughout the movie. They have a super predator, and then all of a sudden the humans get predator armor at the end, and I'm like, okay, yeah. It's like, yeah. hey, it's a video game upgrade. And oh, oh, the best part, autism superpowers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm or, autistic and I'm offended. Like seriously. Or, or going to the other end of the spectrum, aliens <sighs> and the most and like aliens versus predator, they broke the rule. They put the aliens on Earth. Yeah, don't nope. do that. I mean, they had some comic book storylines where they did like an alien pandemic thing, like in the night. Yeah, and and the Earth got practically destroyed because <laughs> that's what would happen. Like honestly, if I was a director and and, and you know and then the, the COVID took, they're like, I'm gonna do an alien pandemic movie because f you all. Yeah. yeah, they could they could do that. That'd be funny. So. Uh, another thing I want to tr transition to is uh, so tell uh, us about all, all, all your other pro projects you have going on right now because you s s sent me like a, a lot of stuff that I want to go over. 
Um, well, I got a, uh, I'm, I worked on a thing called Hunter Ninja Bear for a new company mm -hmm. called Phenom Comics. And it's mm -hmm. a 360 page graphic novel set in the early 1800s. And it's about a, uh, a, a clan of ninjas who are driven into hiding because that's what happened in the early 1800s. The ninjas mm -hmm. were driven into hiding. And they're basically become farmers. <clears throat> they begin to get plagued by this um, bunch of um, man killing bears. And ninjas are good at killing people, but they're nearly wiped out <clears throat> by these bears. And so they seek the help of mountain men from the United States who are expert at killing bears. And they import these mountain men. And of course, there's a <clears throat> clash of cultures, which turns deadly. And uh, but it, it's this big sprawling adventure epic. Uh, do the mountain men pizza and the bear necessities? Yeah, <laughs> we do work. Sorry, on it. I was holding that one in. Uh, I knew, it. I knew you were gonna do that. <laughs> so, so uh, it's on, it's on Kickstarter now, and it's <clears throat> and like I said, it's completed. The story and art are completed. It's you're not gonna have to wait years to see this thing. And fulfillment will be will happen as soon as the campaign ends. But it's I think it's got six days to go. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Also, I, I just noticed you have a Dexter's Laboratory thing in the background and a Scrooge McDuck. That is so cool. <laughs> of course. So what about Levon's Prey? Uh, yeah, Levon's Prey is the 10th book in a series of novels I've written about Levon Cade. And Levon Cade kind of scratches my Punisher itch, as I said. I was about to say, it's, I, it's I, very Punisher-esque. Yeah, I, I loved writing the Punisher and I miss it. So I had to create my own character. And uh, but Levon's different. He's an Alabama boy. He's got uh, he's got a young daughter that he has to look out for. He's like single dad. And and like Frank Castle, he's constantly getting himself into a lot of trouble that he's got to shoot his way out of. And this is the 10th book in the series. It's the end of a kind of uh, trilogy within the series where uh, Levon goes up against the child trafficking ring and things don't end well for the child traffickers. As they never do when you're in a revenge story. So <laughs> there you go. So, so uh it's a question about Levon. If yeah. uh if you ever got adapted into like a streaming service series or like a movie series, who would you want to be played play Levon? Like who's your casting? I usually don't like playing this game, but I I this one I couldn't resist. Uh the actor Lucas Black, who was the lead in uh the third Fast and the Furious movie. He's Oh, he's, I know who you're talking about. He's the right, he's the right age, he's got the right vibe, and he's from Alabama. So uh, he can do that accent. Oh, Mr. He's spitting. What? That's one of the lines from, from uh, Third Path of Furious. Oh, okay. Sorry. But yeah, I'm looking at it like, honestly, yeah, like, it, yeah, I could see that. He's a good actor, too. He's a good actor. He could bring some depth yeah. to it. Mm -hmm. well, only have you seen the Amazon series, The Terminal List? Yes. So I was about to say, it sounds like there's like tons of like parallels to that. Yeah. It, it, of everything I've seen in that genre, it's, it's the closest to what I'm doing mm -hmm. uh, in Levon Cade in that it, he, he's grounded in reality mm -hmm. and he's an outlaw. He's very much an outlaw. I mean, it's, um, he has a lot, Levon's constantly either having to deal with the government or on the run from the government, uh, as well as, you know, killing every bad guy he runs across. Mm -hmm. but, but, the, the, but, the, but the way they nuanced it, I, Terminal, Terminal List is like, it's a great revenge story and a great military thriller, but it's got a lot on its mind. And it's not necessarily political. There's a lot of stuff about moral compasses and stuff there where you have to constantly like reset your moral compass as you're watching it. And I think the end scenes, I don't want to, I don't want to, the end scenes with the, the Secretary of State, I thought mm -hmm. they were, that's really a lot deeper than these things usually go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I enjoy it. It's, it's one of my favorite books so so and naturally was adapted because i'm a big fan of revenge stories hence which is why i'm a punisher fan so <laughs> all right it's kind of funny my mom saw the punisher movie without knowing it was a marvel movie for some reason she missed the big ad on screen that says marvel <laughs> so she, so when i told her oh, oh yeah uh, i'm uh, uh, i mean punisher comedy she's like punisher is marvel are <laughs> the same same reaction people did after seeing blade one and two you mean there was a black superhero movie before Black Panther? No. I didn't know that. Oh. No. Oh, no. Or that, or that, like, or that this black superhero set the template for all superhero movies that are still that they still follow. Yeah, exactly. Let, oh, let me ask you this though: as a fan of the Punisher, what's your opinion of the first 
Punisher movie, the the one with Thomas Jane. Um, I I enjoyed parts of it, particularly the part they lifted from Punisher Warzone number one. Um, <laughs> you know, um, it, it was like I wrote it and John Romita Jr. storyboarded it. Um, but the part I didn't like was they had him playing detective, and that's not something that Frank Castle does. No, he just shoots people. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a hunter, but he's not a detective. He's not looking at evidence or anything like mm -hmm. that. He, I mean, he just kills the first bad guy he runs across. In the perfect Punisher story, he kills the first guy he runs across, and then it turns out that his brother is way up in the mob. So now the, Frank's a target and you know has to kill everybody else. <laughs> That's like a quintessential Punisher story. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. What did you th think of the Punisher series that was on Netflix a little while back? I didn't watch any of that. Like I really? said, I don't rush to watch these things. I heard he was quite emo, so that kind of turned me off. Yeah, I've actually heard a lot of people uh, say they really liked uh, John Bernthal's portrayal of Punisher. I saw season one, I didn't see season two, and then I saw his like his stuff in Daredevil. He was really good on Daredevil. I mean, I'm just a Daredevil fan, so. Well, I, I think the casting of Bernthal was perfect. I thought that was perfect casting. It's just mm -hmm. what I heard about the series didn't really make me want to see it. Yeah, it's true. It, it's an acquired taste, fair enough. So actually, I think that's a good place to leave it on this. And uh, the last, the very last question I want to ask but before we wrap up is, and I, I get the feeling I already know the answer to this, <laughs> but uh, what's more uh, fun for you? Writing for, for like Marvel or DC or writing your own stuff? Um, well, if I have an editor that has faith in me, Mm -hmm. and an interesting project it's a lot of fun to work for dc and marvel i mm -hmm. but there's no one like that now <laughs> yeah well yeah uh, <laughs> so then your knees and eels of the world are long gone yeah 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 seriously uh, I, so i'm left with writing creating my own stuff but i'll tell you there's a real joy in waking up in the morning and going what do i want to write today mm -hmm. uh, i don't need permission to write anymore i don't need to pitch i don't need to do any of that i can just create whole series if i want i've, been, I've got a venue like art tunes where i can just create whatever i want and put it up there you know i find an artist to work with and and we're off to the races and that's a great feeling and, and consequently i'm just as prolific now as i was at the height of the game well that's true because you always, can do it always a good feeling and that's yeah. true because when you think about when you're not when you're writing independently and not running for those big companies you're the most free you could possibly be with this stuff it's like no one can really tell you no except the customer really yeah as long as you can find you know a paying venue yeah <laughs> well, yeah of course but because uh, you still got to sit at the kitchen table and and, and look in your family's eyes <laughs> i'm not just sitting in the room making stuff up all day for no cash i got i gotta make some money yeah exactly as as long as people are willing to to host your content and pay for it, there's really the sky's the um the sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So on that on that positive note, I kind of want to end it a little more of a positivity. Chuck, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Sure thing. Have me back again anytime. And Nick, thank you so much for helping to set this up. This was great. All right. <laughs> Happy pleasure. It. All right. and, on, Thank you. And, and on that note, everyone, stay heroic, and I will see you in the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>